Hey everybody, welcome to Health Hackers episode 20. I'm Gemma Evans, I'm a journalist and presenter here in the UK. And this is my series devoted to getting inside the minds of pioneering figures in health and wellness. If you are watching this episode live on Facebook, hello, and you can see who my guest is today. If you're listening to the podcast, it's Dale Pinnock, aka the medicinal chef. Dale is with us for the next 30 minutes. That means you can ask him anything you like. We're going to be talking all things healthy eating. Dale knows a thing or two about this because he's written 14 books. He's got a degree in nutrition and a postgrad in nutritional medicine. He's also a chef, which means he knows how to make healthy food taste really, really good. So we're going to be talking about all this kind of stuff. If you can think of someone who should watch this video, tag them in the comment section below this video now. I'm having a look at all your comments and questions and I can put them to Dale as we go. But to begin with, I guess Dale, for the sake of the podcast and a nice little introduction, let's talk about your backstory because you've done so much, so many things. I don't know how we're gonna get through it all in 30 minutes. But how did you, how did you end up on this journey, sounds cliche, but on this journey to becoming the celebrity chef that you are now? I realised the other day I've actually been doing this for 25 years, which kind of scared me a little bit. Um, it's, it was quite a long and convoluted journey. I think like everyone else, I found nutrition and wellness through my own health challenges, and it was the age of about 10 or 11. It was the summer of leaving primary school to go to secondary school, that time in your life when you just start to become conscious of yourself in relation to your peers, and I started breaking out with acne. And it was 11? Yes, yes, wow. well, I was an early okay. starter, and usually, because I, I, I sort of hit community very, very early. And like the first year of, of secondary school, I was towering above everyone. By the end of the second year, I was, I was like Frodo Baggins, and they all kind of carried on. But, but I, I had this massive growth spurt, and when you tend to start getting these skin issues very, very early, they tend to last quite a long time into sort of teenage years and into the 20s, really? which was the case of me. Worked to see many types of practitioners, doctors and dermatologists, had all the usual oceans of potions, topical antibiotics, oral antibiotics, vitamin A preparations. Nothing really made a massive difference. Got to the age of about 15, I was sat around at the, uh, my friend's house, feeling a bit sorry for myself, moping about the situation. And his friend's mum wrote me a book, and it was a book called Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond. I don't know if you've ever come no, across that. No. We can read it now, it's a little bit far-fetched, but back then, <laughs> it was my first exposure to the fact that food potentially can be part of the therapeutic picture. And I read this thing cover to cover a weekend, and that was the light bulb moment that we can actively engage in our own healthcare, and that's like That's quite proactive for a 15-year-old kid, isn't it? Honestly, I was so miserable if someone would have told me to like go outside wrapped in tinfoil at midnight and do a cartwheel, and it would have yeah. made a difference, I would try it. Yeah, no, um, I, I used to walk around, I mean, probably most of the people in the village thought I was going to lynch them, so I used to walk around with a scarf up like this, because uh, I didn't want anyone to see my face, I'd yeah. never sort of sit under strip lights or anything like that, because it would really highlight the fact mm. that, that I had the skin issues. So when it's gone, been grinding away for that long, anything that was sort of presented to mm. you, you're ready to try. Plus I've always been an enthusiastic eater, I've always cooked. That's so a great it, way of putting it, an yeah. enthusiastic eater, yeah. oh my god, That's I'm one of those, words, wow, yeah. <laughs> I eat a lot, I'm an enthusiastic eater. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I can really sympathise with that. I've had awful skin issues and I can totally sympathise with the lighting and, and not wanting yeah, to sit in there. Yeah, it's I mean, you know, no yeah. one cares if you've got a spotty bum, but I mean, it's your face <laughs> displayed to the world. It, it's, it's it really is, it yeah, really yeah. Does. Oh, I know. So how did you become known as the medicinal chef? Where did the name come from? That's what I branded myself. You just came, yeah. you're just like, I mean, I'm like, going to do this. I came up with that in, it was about 
98, I think, 98, okay. 99, and food was obviously, I, I do view food as medicine, I mean, I don't approach any of this like sort of wishy-washy and hippy-dippy, it's none of that kind of stuff, it's evidence-based, it's quite reductionist, but food is part of the therapeutic picture, and food can be seen as a, bit, a medicine, yeah, so yeah. it was just a name that pops into my head. No, I like it. So back in 1998, now I remember 1998 really well because that was um, when I was having issues with food mm. and, and for the first time I was taken to see a nutritionist. I was having panic attacks and anxiety and a nutritionist linked it to a drop in low blood sugar, a feeling really an- anxious. Mm-hmm. And so my the advice I was given was to quit sugar. And, mm. and like you, I was in this desperate state. I really wanted to stop having anxiety. And I couldn't understand it. And then I was being told that food could really help me. But it was at a time where this wasn't talked about. Yeah. I mean, I was—I must have been the only girl in my school who was uh, bringing like protein shakes yeah. as a snack in break time. And in 1998, this was just unheard. See, 1998, that was that was quite far down the path. You tried doing this in '92. That was interesting. <laughs> wow. uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it is something. I mean, obviously nowadays it's it's gained popularity massively. Yeah. I've always seen this day coming. Really? Like, where we're at now, I've always seen it coming. But. It was much harder to make better choices back then, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was oh, much And now I look back on those choices that I was taught were really good choices, and I don't think they were. <laughs> it, but yeah. it's, it's all just changed so much. Um, so like, bringing it to present day now, think about the way we are, the way we eat, the way most people eat. Okay, mm. so outside of your really healthy circle. Um, <laughs> what's your biggest worry? When you look at how society, why does society are eating or maybe being sold certain foods what what gets you back up the most being sold the idea of convenience convenience a lot, yeah a lot of the things that, that you find the the, the highly processed ready meals they're, they're sold to us under the guise of convenience and you look at some of the advertising campaigns and they very much prey on it people have anxieties about their income they have anxieties about not having enough, enough time for themselves or their families and marketers prey on that and that's that's quite nefarious i think really because it's, it's, it's targeting our, our, our deepest anxieties mm. and manipulating those just to sell some rubbish. Is there any convenience food that is good? Well, there's so many more coming on it's to the market. It's got to be like your own pat lunch. But then the, the price can be an issue. There's, there's no getting away from that. So learning to cook some of these things for yourself. One of the things that I'm always in favour of is batch cooking. So even yeah. if you can spend a couple of hours on a Sunday, cook a vat of something simple like a, like a, a curry or a chilli or something Stews. like that. Stews freeze it in individual portions, then you start to stockpile your freezer with your own ready mix, you know what's in it, guarantee you will save a vast amount of money mm-hmm. and you'll save yourself some time as well. You were vegan for a long time, weren't you? 20 years. 20 years. So what made you go vegan? Crikey. Um, I went vegan initially for ethical reasons, because okay. for a long time I was a practicing Buddhist. I got into Buddhism quite young age and was always very much aware of my own actions and, and how that influences the world around me and my, you know, our, our connection with being. So the, the, the choice that I've made was from an ethical one. And for 20 years I did really well. And then at the end of that, I start, you know, my health did start to suffer. And that decision to actually stop being vegan, that was like, that was like an existential crisis. That was a yeah. massive decision to make. It took a year to make that choice. So hang on, so, so your health started to suffer, but what made you think it's my diet? Because there must have been a, a point no, where you no, thought no. something's wrong with me. Like, well, no, could no, it no, be no. the diet? I'd, I'd already finished my, my nutrition undergrad then. 
Um, I finished my um, my second undergrad in herbal medicine, stuff. so so yeah, I knew the signs. Yeah. You know, I, I had blood work done, and my ESL was through the roof. All my inflammatory mediators were through the roof. My fatty acid ratios were done. For the first time in my life, I started putting on weight, and, and, and I was always okay. So at the minute, I'm like eleven stone. I used to be nine and a half. I used to be like a bag of pipe cleaners. Do you know what I mean? I was like yeah. always a skinny little run, and all of a sudden, I sort of you know was getting up to nearly 14, yeah. 15 stone. I was like, what? Were you, were you feeling lethargic, feeling all lethargic. of that? Everything started to break down, so there was multiple breakdowns. Like, well, clearly there's there's, there's something diet-related going on, mm. clearly. Um, and so then so you get to the point where you're thinking, should I start eating meat again? But then at the same time, I started getting the most uncontrollable cravings for meat after 20 years. Really? Yeah. You know, I was never tempted by like the, the wafting aroma of a bacon sarnia or anything like that. Just all of a sudden came out of nowhere and then I did actually eat some. So what, what was your first non-vegan meal? A steak. a steak. I bet it was yeah. a good grass-fed steak. I bet it was a good one. It was, yeah, it was. It was a nice one. Although, and to be fair, I'm still, I still follow a very high plant-based diet. I well, I was going to say, without... I've noticed from your Instagram feed that I don't think I've seen you ever post pictures of red meat. Now again, I think that, that, I mean, you'd have to search for a while. I mean, yeah. I... I do eat a fair bit of fish but and when you first ate that steak did you get stomach upset having not eaten meat for 20 years no I was high as a kite <laughs> wow <laughs> you I, needed I it like, I, yeah, guess. I felt like doing a streak it was like utopia and did you I mean did lots of people get very offended people who follow you the, vegans I the good thing is that started I, I made that change just as my career started to do that so okay. I wasn't that known for being plant based if you're listening to the podcast few. Dale's showing an upwards motion <laughs> his career began to do really well even better because yeah, it, it already it, was really well, well. It, it took a long time <laughs> no, no, it took a long time to get, to get it to where it is now a lot of um, blood sweat and tears yeah. but there were, there were a few at first but do you know what I mean it's up to there so your let's talk about your 14 books mm-hmm. I mean we don't have to go through the contents of all 14 of them right now but are there uh, so there, there's one you had called the power of three yes. okay the three nutritional secrets to a longer healthier life yes. um, what are those three secrets for those who well, haven't read the book okay I mean, don't, don't, don't be too fixated on it being like the ultimate answer because there okay. is an ultimate answer for anyone that's studied nutrition in depth anyone that's actually taken it to quite a high academic level the one thing we realize is that we know absolutely nothing you know the one thing we're acutely aware of is how little we know about the subject and the question i get all the time and i should imagine it's something that you hear being a journalist what is the ideal diet it's like, okay with all this misinformation what should we be doing what is the right yeah. thing and my answer is always i haven't got a clue i'd love to be able to tell you but i've really got no idea but what we do know is the way in which our modern diet is killing us we understand a lot about how our modern way of living is damaging our health. So if we flip that on its head and do the opposite, then we're probably starting to hedge our bets. It's absolutely guaranteed that we've not ticked all the boxes mm-hmm. because we don't know what all those boxes are. But we're probably starting in a good place. And you can kind of put that into three distinct areas. You can, you can build it into three pillars, if you like. So blood sugar balance, fatty acid balance, and nutrient density. Now, to really go down the rabbit hole with each of those, we need about four hours. But Blood sugar balance, uh, blood sugar gets out of control, it can increase weight gain, it can increase um, cholesterol, blood pressure, um, inflammatory markers, stress markers, all of those kind of things. Just when you eat a high glycemic diet and too many refined carbohydrates, you put on weight, your risk of type 2 diabetes goes up, your, your um, cardiovascular disease risk goes up. Fatty acid balance, too much of the wrong kinds of fats, you're in a lot of trouble, too much omega 6, not enough omega 3, 
you're going to be stimulating the production of pro-inflammatory prostaglandins. Mm -hmm. Prostaglandins are communication compounds that regulate several responses in the body, the main one being the inflammatory response. Different fatty acids turn into different prostaglandins. If you're taking too many of the wrong types of fatty acids, you start to produce prostaglandins that switch on inflammation. And long-term, inflammatory changes in tissues have been related to many degenerative diseases, like cardiovascular mm. disease, and the instigation of certain types of cancer. That's not sensationalist, mm. that's in any GCSE biology textbook. Prolonged inflammation can activate certain genes and tissues that affect cell replication. So that's a serious issue. And then the third, the third of those three things is nutrient density. We're following a diet in modern times that's quite devoid of micronutrients particularly with a focus on highly processed mm. convenience foods. And the micronutrients are the vitamins, minerals, trace elements, and the phytochemicals could come into that as well. And you think what vitamins and minerals are, they're biochemical facilitators. So those things either make something happen or they make something that makes something happen. So if you start to get to a point where you're not taking in enough of some of these key nutrients, your long-term health can be very, very severely affected. So in order for all of us to act on those three secrets, the first blood sugar balance would be, I mean, would you advocate eating little and often or would you just advocate eating things that are slow burners, slow like burners. complex carbs, yeah. uh, bit of protein, healthy fats? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's several parts to this. The first part is the kind of carbohydrate staples that you, that you opt for. So your breads, your pastas, your rice, that kind of stuff. Always go for the multigrain version. I mean, you know, that's the basics. Everyone probably heard of that. The multigrain version, there's more fibre in there because there's more fibre. It takes longer to digest. Because it takes longer to digest, it takes longer to liberate the sugars that are bound to that fibre, mm. which means your blood sugar is drip-fed rather than carpet bond. Mm. And then you can just release insulin little enough that the insulin tells the cells there's glucose available. The cell takes it up. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, everything's fine. That's the first part. Second part is reduce the portion size that you normally have of those starchy carbohydrates. Start to reduce it down a little bit. And instead, bulk out your plate with non-starchy vegetables and good quality proteins. Mm -hmm. So every time you look at a plate, think, where's my protein? So for vegans, that could be things like you know, tofu, pulses, tempeh. For everyone else, that's, that's your, your meats, your fish, yeah. your poultry, eggs, those kinds of things. And with so your, and with the second, Point on fat balance. Right. So, um, very easy so omega 3s are the goodies and yeah. omega 6s. Where, where are we going to find those that we want to avoid? We want well, to avoid the kind is, of some Both of them are essential. Okay. Both of them are absolutely essential. It's the amount that we need in, in any given period that's the issue. So, omega 6, we need in a very, very small amount. That small amount goes down one specific uh, biochemical pathway and gets converted into to substances that support neurological health and hormonal health. Absolutely vital. But we only need a tiny amount every single day, and that pathway is very easily saturated. And as soon as that pathway gets saturated, any additional omega-6 that comes in will get put down a different pathway that actually creates these pro-inflammatory prostaglandins. Uh, okay. And unless you're doing something really, really weird, just by you know having a, a wide variety of fruit and veg, you're getting enough of those mm. omega-6s per day to satisfy that pathway, to satisfy our needs. The excess comes in from all of the refined vegetable oils. For years, we were told that things like saturated fat were the devil. We yeah. need to avoid them at all costs. And we should all eat margarine. Yeah. Exactly, or the yeah. heart-healthy vegetable oils. They're pure omega-6. Mm. And then you look at you look at the graph of like, I mean, this is World Health Organization data as well. It's not like you know some yeah. some trial done down a local chip shop. It's like like massive, massive scale uh, yeah. study size. As that, those public health campaigns were actually followed, I mean, I should imagine a scene spoke to you about this as yeah, well, as people yeah. started to follow those um, 
guidelines of reducing saturated fat and moving over to the heart-healthy vegetable oils, cardiovascular disease incidents went up like that because mm-hmm. they were eating more starch and more omega-6-rich oils. So the simple thing to do is when, when you cook, there's only two oils to cook with. Olive oil, because the predominant fatty acid in that is a layer acid, which is omega-9, and that doesn't upset the balance mm-hmm. at all. And coconut oil. So you cook in, in olive oil, that's really interesting, because yes. I stopped cooking in olive oil because I heard that it was really bad and, and it would oxidise and if you cook and you heat it at high heat, it's going to be really bad and, and bad and just Extra virgin olive not oil. good. There's a, there's a very high polyphenol content, so that, that protects a lot of the oxidation from a lot of excess oxidation. Yeah. If you take it, that's why I say two oils though. I mean, olive oil is okay for any kind of stovetop stuff. So you general sautéing, stir-frying, anything like that. Olive oil is absolutely fine. For very high temperature stuff over long periods of time, like roasting mm. at very high temperatures, then it can start to denature a little bit. That's where you use coconut oil. Mm. Because with coconut oil, there's no unsaturated fatty acids in there, so you don't get damaged to the molecule. Yeah, I do use coconut oil for yeah. that. I mean, uh, coconut oil isn't its panacea, everyone's making it out to be, by the way, but it, it's, it's good for that for that reason. Yeah, it's been a divisive issue recently, the whole <laughs> coconut oil, yeah, has, hasn't yeah. it? Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about you, and uh, rather than going on about coconut oil but I know <laughs> what a big issue you mean so um, are there some foods that you just would not touch with a barge pole that like they are your massively avoid foods the um, well known sort of fast food outlets I, I, okay. I wouldn't, the only time I would grace their doorstep is to use the loo uh-huh. uh, so that, that would be one big one um, that's pretty much it the only other things I avoid is to don't like the taste of Oh. I mean, steamed cauliflower, I think, is, is the devil's food. But when oh, you, I love when you roast it. Oh, I roast love a roasted. Oh. That's, that's a different, yeah. different story, though. I get some spices in You it. know what? We didn't touch on the third point of the three principles of nutrition. We did touch on it, but what yeah. we didn't do is, is how to act on it. And I guess nutrient density, the message is you just got to eat nutrient dense yeah. food. Even if it's as simple as having a good, dense side salad with every meal. Something yeah. as simple as that to start. Um, so, you, we discussed the whole. Um, importance of fat just there and there is a movement at the moment I guess you could call it a movement of a more uh, high fat low carb way of eating what are your thoughts on that because there are some great success stories of people claiming to have reversed type 2 diabetes going low carb and then there's a bit of a row with some other health experts who don't quite advocate the high fat diet yet Um, where where do you stand on that? If you use it in the clinical setting for someone that's got serious metabolic issues, then it can work miracles. And especially in the context of things like type 2 diabetes, or anyone that's showing that that kind of triad of issues that we would call metabolic syndrome. Okay, so yeah. raised cardiovascular disease risk markers like high cholesterol, particularly LDL, um, small particle size LDL, high blood pressure, centralized obesity, and type 2 diabetes. Anyone that's displaying those kinds of things, it can work wonders. Long term, there's not been enough long term studies to really say one way or the other, like what the safety record is, because it's not been around long enough. I mean, obviously, things like banting and those kind of mm. approaches have been around a long time, but in terms of actual studies on the long term effects, we don't know. I do want sometimes worry about the amount of arachidonic acid that's in that diet. So, arachidonic acid is, right, let's step back a little right. bit to the omega 6. Okay. One of the, when I spoke about the omega 6, when it comes into that one pathway, you know, that, that, that can get overloaded. A favorable thing. Yeah. It's fine, but once that pathway gets overloaded, the next thing that the omega 6 fatty acids get converted into 
is something called arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid then converts into a series two prostaglandin, which exacerbates inflammation. A lot of animal fats contain a very high level of arachidonic acid. So I do sometimes wonder about its influence on inflammatory load and these kind of things. But you know yeah. what? This, the thing is, you can tie yourself in knots with nutrition whichever way you turn. Mm. There's always question marks, which goes back to my point that we realise how little we actually know. But I think this is an important time to actually say that with all of these different approaches that are out okay, so you look whether it's low carb, high fat, whether it's paleo, whether it's a raw food diet, a macrobiotic diet, a vegan diet, all of them are associated with these massive health transformations. You always see people that follow them that have really turned their health around and really and they can be really, they can be really surprising diets. Yeah. I had Michaela Peterson on a few yeah. weeks ago, who only eats beef, yeah. and says it's cured all of her autoimmune disorder symptoms. Yeah. Um, but were you about to say you think there's a common theme with well, all this, of them? This is the thing. Like, even though they're vastly different, there's one common theme that they all share. There's one single thing that all of them share, and this is probably where the truth lies. Um, any idea what that might be? Uh, will it have something to do with the elimination of stuff we shouldn't be eating? They all cut out the rubbish that's making us sick in the first place. This so it's just the, the junk rubbish? Yes, they all cut out the rubbish that makes us sick in the first place. So that's the place to start. Uh, if you're watching us live on Facebook, hello, welcome. Uh, we are recording Health Hackers episode 20. This is Dale Pinnock, if you don't already know, the medicinal chef. He's written 14 books about healthy eating. So he knows what he's talking about. We're talking all things healthy eating. If you've got a question, pop it in the comments section below and I can chat to Dale about your comments. Um, right, I've got a few little little questions that can okay. be fairly quick fire if you like. People who follow your work will know you're a big fan of phytochemicals. Yes. Uh, what are they and why are they a big deal? Phytochemicals are chemicals that naturally occur in plants that can regulate everything from growth cycles, hormone release, or give colour pigments, or be part of the, the structure of a plant. They're not essential nutrients, so they're not like vitamins and minerals, you can't be deficient in them, but what we've realised is most of them, can, a lot of them, can interact with our physiology, often in a way that is pharmacological, really, if you've ever been near a skin yeah. You know, you know that a plant and the chemistry of that plant can influence, can interact with your physiology and instigate a response. And that's the whole basis that things like herbal medicine are built on. I mean, not like the kind of traditional things that are based on energetics, but modern herbalism and phytotherapy, like they practice in Europe, particularly, yeah. are, are built on. These things are essentially pharmacological agents. So we should try and eat as many of them as yeah, we can. Well, how, how would you include them in your cooking? The more colours, the better. The right. more variety of plant-derived foods, the better. Uh, we've got a question from Mike. Okay. Uh, what do you make of all this scientific evidence that keeps telling people that certain foods aren't good for you, and then a few years later, their minds have changed, i.e. red wine and eggs? And I guess oh, we've already highlighted yeah. margarine and yeah. butter and the row over what's good for you there. Well, Mike, this is a great question because it is... This is, this is one of the biggest problems that I have. Is I, I do spend a lot of my time actually addressing a lot of these kind of things. Yeah. We have to remember, and you know, I, 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 I say this cautiously, when studies are published and news of a study's finding comes out, sometimes news outlets can grab onto the headline yeah. and report the headline rather than looking into the deeper issue mm -hmm. because it can be a compelling headline. If a study has found that something is like you know potentially linked to disease, then it's a juicy headline. Mm. And news yeah, outlets yeah. do do grab onto it. But the thing is, you have to look at so many of the variables. Going back to the original data, how big was the study group? What actual 
design was used in designing a trial? Who was funding the trial? All that's, of these that's things, a big use of it now. Who was funding the trial? Yeah. That's become a talking point. Yeah, if it was in like the International Journal of Goat Herding, then maybe it's not got as much Wait. impact yeah. as it, like something that was in JAMA or the BMJ. So yeah. you know, all, of, all of these issues are there. But also, the thing is, Mike, this, it is a really, really frustrating subject to, to, to actually study because it's very hard to do a, a double-blind, randomised, placebo-controlled trial on broccoli. Well, yeah, you're either eating it or you're not. Yeah, and also, who's yeah. going to fund that? Exactly. Diagnostic criteria changes ra- rapidly, so our ability to be able to detect physiological changes that can indicate disease state is accelerating all the time. So our ability to actually glean key information from a study will change all the time. Yeah. There's so many variables, and that is what makes nutrition frustrating. And that's why, you know, I raised that point early on that whenever I'm asked what's the ideal diet, my answer is I haven't got a clue because mm-hmm. we just can't say that. What we can say is we know how our modern diet is is damaging our health. So maybe let's do the opposite and start building key information around around that because that's the only thing we've really got any clarity on. Mm. You've given me a whole new perspective for every guest I ever have on the show now who suggests that their diet is, is the best way. Yeah, I'm just going to be thinking of you saying, ah, uh, don't I'd think it is. I'd love to be able to say that. I'd love, yeah. to, I'd love to stand it, but I'm, I'm not here for my ego. Do you know what I mean? I'm here to actually give the best information that I can. I feel absolute responsibility to give the best information that I can. If I don't know something, I'll say that I don't know it, and that we haven't got the answers, because, you know, what's Well, I'm loving that honesty. So back to our quickfire round. Yes. Do you take supplements? Loads. Which ones? Why? <laughs> I say uh, I take a multivit. Yeah. Uh, I always think that a multivit's a good idea because you can't guarantee the micronutrient or um, composition of food. Okay. You know, I mean, eat a good diet. Nothing will replace a good diet ever, ever. Yeah. But a good multivitamin, it just kind of covers those bases to make sure that you're hitting like all of your RDAs. I take omega three because I'm really about yeah. like, creating that omega three, omega six balance. I do take uh, a B complex because I have the most ridiculous schedule in the world I, stress I'm, I'm up at five I go to bed at like god knows o'clock I'm on the road a lot I travel it's got a lot of energy the so these beasts ups are working well yeah the thing is it's, it's a dog. diet and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff and I love coffee um, I take vitamin C as well sometimes mm. but it's usually when I've you know if I've been on the road if I've you know just come off the flight or something I'll take a yeah. bit of extra vitamin C and that's about it. I've got loads of other stuff in my um, in my supplement cupboard. My supplement yeah. cupboard is like is like a healthy. I've got a supplement cupboard as well. I just kind well. of grab things as yeah. I need it. Maybe yeah. a little bit of extra zinc and feel myself coming down with something. Mm. But my advice to people is like if if you're thinking about supplements, the basics that you could take every day would be a good quality multi and omega three. Anything else? Anything else? Any question marks? Speak to someone that knows what they're doing. Speak to a practitioner because. There's an assumption that just because it's it's, it's natural or it's a nutrient, yeah. that it, it can be harmless. That could not be further. From I know. The well, some of them have got a lot of binding and a lot of fillers in, haven't they? And it's. I mean, to be fair, they're probably the most benign things. I mean, it's, it, the 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 worst part of it is like by taking high doses of certain nutrients, there's mm. toxicity issues potentially. Yeah, some. yeah. There's the ability to actually create false deficiency signs in others or affect the metabolism and excretion of others. So it, it does become a real maze. You can OD on vitamins as well. Yeah. I mean, so there was one point uh, when I. I was about 18 where I had read how good carrot juice could be for skin <laughs> I don't know what's coming I, I, I turned orange I did turn that's orange that's called hyperkeratinemia it right. was it was embarrassing yes yeah, because the carotenoids they're, they're fat soluble <laughs> nutrients they naturally migrate into the subcutaneous layer of the skin and they will actually 
accumulate in subcutis. Maybe this explains Love Island, I don't know. Ah. It does give people that kind of orange tinge, doesn't it? But what, what was really embarrassing is that the most, the most intense orange appeared on uh, the palms of my hands, the soles of my yes. feet, and my upper lip. So, so I had this. I had this orange upper lip and palms of my hands, and then I thought, oh my god, it's the carrot juice. I'm gonna stop. So and I the haven't drunk. Not carrot juice since. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, right. Next question: intermittent fasting. Massive fan. Really? Yeah. Oh, give me some advice, because I, I can do 12 hours between dinner and breakfast, but if I try and go for longer, I just get moody and grumpy. I don't do, I don't, oh. I don't do longer. What I do is, uh, when I get up, I'll, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee. I usually wake up about five. I'll do uh, an hour or so in... Oh, Dale's watch Sorry, is to- my, my watch Dale's rang. watch is talking. He's yeah, a busy man. My watch rang. Um, I'll do like a couple of hours work. I usually like brainstorming first thing. Yeah. So I'll have a coffee, get into that, then go to the gym and I'll train fasted. Uh-huh. Then I'll have my first meal around about 11, 30, 12. And then my last one at about 7 p.m. Yeah. Right. And then repeat that the next day. That's enough. I mean, that, going a whole day without eating, you would not want to be around me. Oh, no. I, I'd be like, you know, Hungry Anderson. Yeah. yeah because I don't drink coffee, so in the mornings then I'm, I'm I don't have any fuel if I was going to fast till eleven thirty. No, I don't do any caffeine. Really? I quit oh. all caffeine when I was having anxiety as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could try bringing it back, but I, I don't know whether that's a good thing. Try it. Be like a rocket. A question from Eve. She's talking about it being pumpkin time of year. You're a fan of seasonal eating. Does seasonal eating really matter? Well, Does not, our body know the difference? No, no, I'm not, I'm not a fan of seasonal eating. I, feel I just like to celebrate seasonal produce just oh, okay. because it's the season. And also it supports growers in this country and I like supporting independent businesses and all that kind of stuff. So it's got nothing to do with health, really. It's okay. just like these amazing kind of independent artisan businesses. Let's support them. Let's you know, support people that are oh, a massive chain. I don't know, I don't think the body's got, got, got a clue because we break it down into all its individual components and providing everything's being met and yeah. nutritional needs are being met, it, it, it does It's just happy to be fed. Yeah. Uh, have you got any good pumpkin related recipes this time? Pu- I love pumpkin purees. Oh. So the things like, so if, if you have something like particularly salmon, pan fried salmon. Oh, spiced, write this down, Eve. Spiced pumpkin puree and garlic greens. Ooh. That could be amazing. Pumpkin soup with ginger, goji berries, and a little bit of chili. And a tiny bit of cinnamon. That is off the charts. Will you send me the, the recipes for both of those? Will, and I'll will. put it in the show notes, everybody, so you can have sal- uh, salmon with yeah. pumpkin puree. Um, well, one of my favourite things, just lumps of pumpkin, roasted up with rocket, a little bit of feta cheese, walnuts, balsamic dressing. Feta cheese. Nice. I'm allergic to nuts, but I'll take the cheese. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, all right, Dad, we're up on time, but before you go, I really want people to know where they can find out more about you. What, what are you on social media? So, social media on Instagram, just at The Medicinal Chef. Facebook, just The Medicinal Chef. Twitter, I'm coming off it, I don't bother. It's no just, way, really? Yeah, it's, Why? It, it's, it's just a vitriolic hellhole. Is it, I can't stand a it. lot of people do round Twitter. Um, oh, yeah, wow. so I'm coming off. I don't, I don't go on there, I don't use it, so I'm not going to bother. So, those are the two Instagram and Facebook. And then my main website is just dalepinup.com. Excellent. I'll put all these in the show notes, everybody. Eve says yum to that recipe, by the way. Uh, are we going to see you on TV? anytime soon because Dale does loads of TV that's probably where you recognise him from if you're watching the Facebook live if it was that crime watch instant the so series 2 of each up say finished in August Ho- hopefully we get series 3 
but you know I'll pop up on other things as well we always um, see brilliant and you're spreading it. such a good message and thank it's really you. refreshing to talk to you, thank you. Um, Dale Pinnock thank you and thank you everybody for watching Thanks live so on Facebook bye bye <laughs>